RunAsRadio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell and Greg Hughes. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 65 with guest Mark Manassi, recorded live Thursday, June 26, 2008. Run As Radio is produced each week by Pwop Productions, providing professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com. Hi, you're listening to Run As Radio, and I'm your host, Richard Campbell. With me, as always, my co-host, Greg Hughes. As always, good to talk to you again, Richard. It's nice to be back in the saddle again after the craziness at TechEd. Yeah, you know, it was a fun show. It was, it was pretty crazy. You know, we sort of twisted things around a little bit and did things a little different, but I thought things turned out pretty darn well. Yeah, and uh, of course, second year of the fishbowl, at least in the U.S., and things that evolved there, too. And Sure. I, it felt very comfortable. We seemed to feel like we knew what we were doing anyway. Yeah, you know, I think we've, you know, we've been, you, certainly you've been uh, through a number of things like Speaker Idol and whatnot, and I've helped out a little bit here sure. and there. And, you know, we've learned from that, and uh, it's quite a bit of fun. And had lots of listeners drop by the uh, fishbowl to say hi, which was really cool. It was great to talk yeah. to everyone, and uh, glad people are enjoying the show. It was it was really good to meet people and um, and also had the opportunity to record a couple of shows, which, of course, have, have uh, already been published. Those are our most recent shows that are out there. Um and uh, and a lot more contacts for you know possible shows in the future. You bet. And of course, we're now working on uh, going to TechEd Europe in the fall again. I believe it's back in Barcelona one more time. And uh, with any luck, uh, once the paperwork's all done, we'll be there again this fall. All right, Greg. Let's introduce our guest. And I love this bio. When Mark Manassi attended his first lecture about computers in 1973, he learned two things. First, computers are neat. Second, many technical people are very nice folks, but they can put you to sleep in an instant while explaining technical things. Mark transformed those two insights into a career making computers easier and more fun to understand. He's done that by writing over a thousand popular computer columns, several dozen best-selling technical books, and explaining operating systems and networking to crowds from two to two thousand. Awarded favorite technical author by Cert Sites. Four times out of four, Mark is probably best known for his Mastering Windows Server and Complete PC Upgrade and Maintenance books, both of which have seen more than 12 editions and sold over a million copies. Yeah, An audience books. member at a recent talk remarked that he believed that Mark could do a talk on watching paint dry that would be so good that people would be motivated to go home and paint a wall just to experience the enjoy of watching paint dry. <laughs> While this has led to many very interesting, tempting offers from Sherwin-Williams, he's decided to stay with his first and best love... <laughs> Technology. I hope this bio conveys to our listeners the seriousness of the conversation we're about to have. <laughs> hey, Mark. <laughs> hey, guys. <laughs> so tell me, why is this run as? It should be UAC at this point, user account control. Oh, nice, yes. User uh, account uh, control thanks. is the replacement for <laughs> run as. <laughs> you know how hard it is once you establish a, an identity in a domain, you can't go back. Oh, no, no, it's, this is where we're going. Okay. Oh, Tell me about it. I write for this magazine. I started writing for like 13 years ago. It was called Windows NT Magazine. And we had like, at one point, we had 130,000 people in subscription. But that was too many people. So we changed our name to Windows 2000 Magazine. And most of them went away. But then they found us eventually. And so we said, okay, well, you know what? If we change our name to Windows and .NET Magazine, then maybe they won't come back. But they did. And then finally, we became Windows IT Pro Magazine, and that hasn't changed much. So I guess the circulation hasn't gotten large enough that we have to come up with another name. <laughs> and our audience is the same audience, IT Pros. So we're, we're talking to the same people. Well, good. 
I just enjoying the fact that you're trying to avoid your an audience. What is that? Well, you know, if you get too many of them, they start, you know, sending you emails and they want to hire you and stuff. And there's only five days, you know, working days in the week. And then there's the other two working days where you can't return phone calls, you know. It's, so, if it wasn't for the uh, people, know, the job would be great, right? Exactly right. Exactly right. <laughs> oh, man. So what, what you do know, you guys normally talk about? I mean, what was the last bunch of speaker types you had? What did they, what did they talk about? What's a, what's a topic our audience wants to hear about? Vista oh. 2008, my cool new laptop, what? Um, I, absolutely. I mean, I think 2008 is weighing heavily on people's minds. I know you're, I mean, I'm looking up at my Windows, my mastering Windows 2000 server book right now, actually. It's high up on my shelf. I, I think that book's one of my most book-eared, you know, banged up books. It's just, it's been open a lot. I'm glad to hear that because the first, you know, what was the mastering server 2003 book became too big. So we had to bust it into three books. And the Mastering Server 2008 is th- will be three books. The first one just hit the stands this week. Oh, yeah. It's Mastering Windows Server 2008, colon, um, Networking Foundations or something like that. So if you have a friend who's just getting into the business, that's the book they want, they want to pick up. You know, I don't think people are paying enough attention to the fact that both Vista and 2008 are running on a totally new network stack. There's... Uh, there's some cool stuff there. I did a newsletter on that off, on my site just a couple of months ago. The stuff that's neat is that, first of all, there's that thing that automatically tunes TCP. What's interesting is some of these some of these new tweaks that Microsoft's got in the TCP stack, basically what they do is they adjust window sizes in a more intelligent fashion right. so that without buying any more hardware, you get better throughput. And especially you get better throughput over wide area network links ones with higher and higher delay rates, round-trip delay rates. So that's some pretty cool stuff. There's some anti-congestion stuff. There's about five settings that are really neat, and it's it's insane not to look at that stuff because you've already paid for the hardware. You've already paid for the software. You might as well just you know get the most out of it. And there's IPv6. Uh, we were just at TechEd, Richard and I. and Greg was there too. I was privileged enough to do a number of talks, and one of them, was called uh, uh, "Wait, Don't Turn Off IPv6: A Guide for the Reluctant," <laughs> and it, uh, it did pretty well. It was one of the top-rated talks at the at TechEd. And what was interesting was they stuck me in a little tiny room because I think they were pretty sure that no one cared about IPv6. But it all comes back to making it relevant for people. And for those of you who are listening, if you are a networking person now, and if you've been looking at IPv6 and saying, "Nah," I don't have to do it for 10 years. You have to do it. This is important. Everyone should know this stuff. Because the thing is, for a lot of us in North America, then we've sort of heard we're going to run out of IP addresses at some point, right? Right. But NAT, you know, Network Address Translation, back in 95, kind of made that sort of go away. And we think, well, it's not a problem. And the reason is, in North America, we have something like, you know, between up there in Canada and, you know, down here in the States, We've got something like 65% of the routable IP addresses. And then when you take some of Europe, then that's like another piece. Now, the problem is that, speaking not for Canadians, but for Americans, uh, as Americans, it's our our duty, our birthright, to be completely unaware of any countries outside of our own. (laughs) (laughs) Except for the ones that we're bombing, you know. Oh, very nice. (laughs) And so... Uh, most people don't realize this, but I heard a rumor, and you guys can check me on this because I know that you Canadian guys are a little better at uh, the internationalization stuff. I heard a rumor that on the other side of Europe, there's this thing called, hang on, I'll get it right, Azia or 
Asia or something like that. It's supposed to be pretty yeah, big. Yeah, yeah. And they have this country I've heard of, and I may get the pronunciation wrong. It's Kahina or something like this. And this Kahina place is 1.3 billion people. <laughs> and 0.2% of the routable IP addresses, and they are pissed. <laughs> and so, you know, China is out there in front, and they're saying, you know, we are the world economic power, and the only way to solve our address problem is we're embracing IPv6 in a big way. Yeah. And right. they're saying that by the time the Olympics happens, has they started already? Not yet, but it's coming. Okay, it they say that by the time the Olympics happen, they will have a countrywide v6 internet and they're going to turn off ipv4 now you know what that means that means that every business i mean pretty much in any country wants to deal with china so i think you're going to see the pop the inflection point and so if you don't know about v6 now is the time are you broadcasting your podcast on v6 here pal i'm afraid not but that's more of an (laughs) issue of the isp than it is us absolutely and I, and I do get a sense that we're that a lot of businesses, even in North America's first real contact with IPv6 is going to be their ISP coming to them and saying, hey, we want to feed you an IPv6 address now. I don't I, – that may be. That, that may be. Um, and if that happens, I think what will end up happening there, that will be a different sort of thing where the ISP is going to say, uh, we decided it's easier to run V6 than V4. Right. And we know that you don't want to change anything. So here's a little cable converter box. Yeah, here's your bridge. So, yeah, so your analog TV can still see digital cable. It's basically it's going to be like the, you know, the computer version of that. Yeah. And when that happens, people should embrace that because V6 makes your life so much easier. There's a lot of really good things that came out uh, that come out of that. I don't want to go away from this MTU window thing because, uh, for, I mean, for folks who don't know about this, this is a feature that's been in, in IPv4 forever. It's just that... RFC 1323 changed the nature of TCP windows, and it was released in April of 1992. This was a year and a half before Microsoft ever shipped a TCP stack. Right. And it wasn't until 1998 that, that Microsoft's uh, V4 stacks supported this stuff, even a tiny bit. And it was only two years ago that we finally have complete support of RFC 1323. But what worried me about what worries me about the current implementation of it is it's on by default. Because I think there's a certain number of devices that just count on that 1534 size MTU window. I mean, I think it's a big I think that was a a bold decision that has just not been talked about. Uh duh, duh, duh. with respect Richard, uh, let me let me tweak something in there. The MTU stuff you're talking about, those are IP block sizes. Okay. Right? And TCP, a given TCP block can be implemented in any number of IP packets. You're, uh, granted, your MTU is probably not going to get above 1,500, although it can on some networks. Right. But bear in mind that the TCP deal isn't so much block by block. It's the how much time I have to check a bunch of blocks and respond with them. Right. And making and a bigger so, block size just is, gr- is great when you're moving large volumes of data. Also, you're going to find that an awful lot of websites, there's a, there's a basic retardedness in HTTP such that most websites really don't want to see TCP blocks bigger than 5K. Right. So even going to 64K makes some of them troublesome. But what you'll find is when you're doing a, a big transfer, like you're downloading a service pack or something like that, then, because, you know, what are the big files that we download besides pornographic movies? You know, that would be like, you know, there'd be service packs and yes. stuff. Yes. Those guys can actually kick into some pretty big blocks. I think what you're thinking, though, is, and quite correctly, is if you have 
all of a sudden an operating system that understands this 1992 RFC, you may find that your network runs very slowly or you get a lot of disconnects and people say, oh, this is a Microsoft bug. Hey, look, I'm the guy that's first to explain when Microsoft's screwing up. This is a case where if that's a problem, you've got network hardware that's retarded. Yeah, that's right. Stuff that isn't compliant. And I think when, especially when Vista first hit, and the homes, there was a lot of cheapo, you know, $40 NAT routers that could not deal with that. Uh, absolutely. I was at a conference about a year and a half ago. I don't know if you've ever had Todd Lamley on, but Todd is like smartest guy in the world about Cisco and that sort of stuff. And Todd and I were back hanging at this conference, and the router was dying on a regular basis. And it's like March, I think a month after Vista had been released. And I thought I knew what it was, so Todd and I looked at the network traces, and sure enough, this WRT54G, when when a Vista laptop would try to say, ooh, let's do big windows, then the WRT54G would just Boom. roll up its eyes. It would just die, choke. You know? yeah. yeah, thanks for playing. See, you I've experienced <laughs> exactly, that as well. Exactly. And I'm trying to find right now, I've got a newsletter about that uh, that people can go look at, and they can find out more uh, about this. Give me just a second, and they can find out some more because it's it's a kind of ugly uh, ugly thing to explain. But I did some math on it with that with, with hope has uh, made it a little clearer. And ah, here we are. If they go to my site, and <laughs> which is www.manassi.com, uh, M-I-N-A-S-I, and they go to issue uh, newsletter number sixty-seven, February of two thousand eight. If they go to www.manassi.com, they will see a reference to my free newsletter, and issue 67 has all the worked out math and stuff like that if they want to learn some more about it. But here's the important thing, right? The, the important thing is that if you find that you're running Vista or less likely server 2008 and you're getting a problem, you're getting disconnects when you don't expect them, your system's a lot slower than you expect, everybody get out a pencil of paper because i got a long command for you to type here. First of all, from Vista 08, you're going to open up an elevated command prompt. When you start the command prompt, don't just click it. Right-click it. Say, run uh, run as administrator. Wait, wait, wait. Run as? Did you say run as? <laughs> that, well, I, there's certainly there's a certain amount of, there's, there's some... So there's some legacy wording. Like, <laughs> no, really, I, I think you guys have to upgrade. You should become UAC.net or something like that. Check so here's, here's the command. Netch, N-E-T-S-H, that's short for net shell, right. space int, I-N-T, which is short for interface, space TCP, which is short for TCP, space set, space global, just the word global, and then all one word, auto-tuning level, auto-tuning level equals right. disable. So net int TCP set global auto-tuning level equals disable. That will tell your network stack, act as dumb as the server 2003 and XP nice. network stack. Right. And you won't get, you know, the, the complete goodness, you know, the, the wholeness and goodness. Right. But that should uh, do the job to make your system run better till you get your network hardware upgraded. I, I actually had to do the same thing. I, I had a, it was a WRT54G and another relatively uh, arcane piece of hardware. And I actually, I had to do that exact thing in order to get things to run smoothly over time. Now, so if, if you had an actual WRT54G, you don't yeah, even I've have to it. go buy new hardware. Yeah, if you, I, which is you exactly what I did. Hyper, yeah. hyper WRT. Uh-huh. Hyper, that's all one word, H-Y-P-E-R-W-R-T. 
There's a guy who has a replacement flash for your WRT54G that makes it wonderful. And among other things, it can now you can now open the doors up and you can have it run at full speed. And I've and I've seen that and played with that. And there, there's a number of uh, you know the WRT54G is a really common home router, and um, they're uh, for people that don't know whether it's uh, Hyper WRT or Open WRT or or a variety of other free firmwares out there that replace the stock the stock Linksys firmware. There's some pretty great stuff out there. Yeah, that that fifty the the, 50, the WRT54G is a very cool router just in terms of all the neat things people have done with firmware on it. As a matter of fact, here's a really cool one. Uh, I wanted to play around with. We were talking about getting our ISPs to understand that they need to do V6. Here in the states, almost none have. I've sent emails to Cox Cable and Comcast and Charter. Those are the guys I work with, and no one has responded. It's like they won't even take the time to say, "Hey, buddy, go go away." But Earthlink, believe it or not, is really interested in this. And if you get on the Earthlink site, they have a replacement flash for your WRT54G. And they will huh. give you 18 quintillion of your own IPv6 addresses. 18 quintillion. <laughs> Is that cool or what? So if, if you come to my house and you fire up your computer and it's a Vista box, you're going to find that you have a routable IPv6 address. You can ping China from it. Huh. You know, that we talked with Sean Seiler on the show, um, what, a couple months ago, Richard? Yeah. About IPv6. And Sean Seiler from Microsoft is kind of their IPv6 guru. People who are interested in finding out more on the detail side about that should probably go back and listen to that show. It was a really good one. And part of what Sean talked about was he was giving some visualizations or explanations about just how many routable addresses there are in IPv6 address space. I mean, compared to IPv4, it's... It's not even a whole different world. It's a, it's different than a whole different universe. It's, it's amazing. Did he, did he talk about why there's so many bits? Was they, I mean, the, they the, embed the Mac into the address now? Well, yeah, and, and that, that's the thing. IPv6 is supposedly 128 bit address space. Right. It really isn't. It's a 64 bit address space. Right. And the reason is the original thought was, you know what? We need an easy way to configure computers. Because our IT for audience, I'm sure, will know about DHCP and annoying things like that. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's just such a kludge. You know, and our audience will probably know that when you go to an ISP, if you've got a big bag of money and you say, hey, I need a bunch of routable addresses, how many are you going to get? Well, I don't know. If you're, if you're IBM, you get 16 million of them. You know, if you're right. Apple, you get 16 million of them. If you're Microsoft, you get 65,536. That must keep Bill up nights, knowing that Apple's got an A network. Yeah. And he's just got <laughs> an A, you know. Yeah. But anyway, well, at, least, I mean, at least for a couple but, more days, yeah. But the, the reason it's 128 bits in V6, why so many bits? The answer is, so we can waste them. Yes. <laughs> the nice thing about this is that there's so many bits in V6 that, first of all, it makes routing easier. You know, in the V4 world... If you look at the 32 bits in your address, well, you know, for some networks, you control 24 of them, and the ISP controls 8. For small networks, maybe the ISP controls 30, and you only control 4. IPv6, there's so many bits that they say, the heck with it. Everybody gets a range of 128-bit addresses, and with almost everyone, the ISP controls 40 bits, just 40 bits, and you get 80. Right. That means you have support for 65,536 subnets. And you look at that and say, I don't need that. I'm just Joe's Donuts. You know what? It doesn't matter. The idea is that they built a one-size-fits-all. How many companies do you know have 65,536 subnets? I don't know. Maybe Exxon. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But the point is, by having enough bits to waste them, you get this 
one-size-fits-all stuff, which means you never have to worry about subnetting ever again. Yeah, the and we forget now, most folks have grown up in an IPv4 subnet world. They forget how much simpler routing was. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, and again, they want... It wanted to be easy for a computer to configure itself. And if you think about it, back in the Novell days, how did computers configure their addresses? It's very simple. They just exploited their MAC address, which was unique. Right. And so V6 tried to do that, but took it a step further because, believe it or not, the IP mandarins or, you know, the, the network mandarins realized that with only 48 bits, we're going to run out of MAC addresses by the year 2100. I don't know about <laughs> you, but I'm not that worried about that. But in any case, yeah. so they're expanding MAC addresses to 64 bits. So I'm greatly simplifying here, greatly simplifying. And RFC uh, 3140, which came out in 2001, changes a little bit. But basically the original plan was the way that you'd give yourself an IP address is you just look down and use your MAC address. So, I mean, really the bottom 64 bits really identifies you. The top 64 bits, all it really does is says, where do you live? Yeah. You know, are you part of the run as empire? Are you part of, you know, Exxon Mobil, whatever? It's cool. It, it is, and it's interesting to see that, that we're going, really going back to that now just by giving ourselves enough address space to play in there. Yeah. yeah it, it, it's absolutely true. No, it's, 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 it's some great stuff. I know. I really, I really like the fact that you know, I'm running a variety of different operating systems at home, but, you know, some, quite a bit of Vista and other stuff, but IPv6 is just turned on and I have different devices and computers that are just automatically talking IPv6 on the network. Oh really? So I, I'm not a Mac guy. Do do the Mac e six now? You know the Mac. I, you know what? That's a good question. I, since mine's turned off, I can't fire it up and look. But um, yeah, I'm, I had I'm exactly gonna, that. I'm do that after we're done recording. You got me going. Yeah. I think I have seen some v six <laughs> stuff in there. Um, but all but all the Vista stuff, the Media Center, and and uh, and the different uh, you know newer stacks are all just sort of automatically uh like the vista machine that i'm using that i use to record this show i have an ipv4 address but i also have an ipv6 address and it leverages the ipv6 whenever it can neat neat yeah i I set up a group of machines all at once all with 2008 and you know was going through the usual routine of having an isolated demo rig where i was going to use host files to map everything out and in the time it took me to get prepped ipv6 had negotiated between them and identified all the names Right. That, that is neat. And it does it without broadcast. You know, it's got, right now, you know, Manassi's fifth law of networking is that everything works in the Microsoft world on a single segment network. Yeah. So right. if you're going to test things, you have to be very careful about making sure that you've got a routed environment. Otherwise, you're not really discovering anything. IPv6, in contrast, is very interesting. IPv6 uses multicast rather than broadcast. And it's got this thing called Link Local Multicast Name Resolution, RFC 4795, yep. that Microsoft wrote. And it's being, you know, adopted by more and more vendors. That's kind of cool. It's sort of like a uh, a low impact answer to the old net BIOS broadcast, broadcast, broadcast stuff. You know, your your China point. It's pronounced China, by the way, Mark. Oh, is it? Your, Thank you. Yeah, your China your China point's a good one. You know that uh, you know it quite often takes a great big mass move by where there's a real need. I know another area where there's been a strong need and therefore a big move toward IPv6. Um, at least on the corporate network side of things, has been with some of the the mobile telephone operators where they have so many freaking handsets out there now that they've jumped over and actually gone to IPv6 on their network in order to better enable you know their systems. Many of our listeners will not know, until I say this, that if you purchase a car next year and it's made by a European manufacturer, Beamer, Benz, whatever, it will have what's called a slash 64 
IPv6 network. It'll have 18 quintillion IPv6 addresses. And so when you put your foot on the brake, then the way that the brake pedal will tell the brakes in the back to brake will be through an IPv6 communication, which really? scares the living crap out of me, but still. You know. <laughs> <laughs> that That's kind of cool. <laughs> oh, the other huh. idea, too, is that I guess cars will be able to to be equipped with these low-power wireless networks. And so the theory is that if you've ever driven in Europe, they have a lot of these little narrow, winding roads, and you know you can't see what's around the bend. And the theory right. is that because I've got this wireless network in my car that leaks out a little bit, that it, it will detect the other car coming. That's awesome. The thing that I like about that is we could then add voice over IP. And I don't know about you, but I've been talking to the other drivers for years and years. The idea that they could hear me <laughs> would rock. Oh, boy. Although my fear is the more we automate cars. You know that Microsoft Auto PC stuff? Yeah. I remember yeah. You know, Windows CE on the dashboard, that's the last thing we need. I've always <laughs> feared that when it became widespread, There'd be this feature where if you actually speed, the car will pull itself over, lock the doors, and use your <laughs> cell phone to call the cops. Nice. And they'll sp- split the fines with Microsoft. That's my it'll fear. probably take your picture, send it off to the local government, because it'll be able to figure out what the local government is. And then, of course, in your snail mail from the government, you'll get your picture along with your uh, speeding fine ticket. So. Fortunately, the local government won't actually have any of that stuff implemented for another 40 years. Yeah, that's, a, yeah. that's a good point. <laughs> uh, sorry, I didn't mean that for the local government people that are listening. Not, I meant other local governments. So. Well, of course. <laughs> the, the enlightened few are, are, of course, listening to the show. And naturally. There we go. Uh, other elements of the network stack? I mean, I find it interesting to see uh, where AD is sort of gone and, and definitely having some challenges in, in configuring everything uh, would mixing 2003 and 2008? Uh, I haven't had too much trouble with that. The interesting thing, well, here's an interesting thing. Remember I told you that you had that long command, the NETCH uh, in TCP said global auto-tuning equals disabled. Yeah. You know what the opposite of disabled is? Normal. That seems awfully judgmental. Yes. Doesn't that, you know? <laughs> well, it is, you know, it's uh, it's part of the spec. It should have been there all along. <laughs> Uh, there's another setting, by the way, in that NETCH int uh, TCP set global thing called uh, e- called uh, 1323 timestamps. The 1323 timestamps should be turned on, and the reason is the stack now attempts to figure out how big the round-trip delays are when you're pulling data off of, let's say, a server that's 3,000 miles away. That would be 5,000 kilometers for people in Canada. Nice. And so... Um, if it, the timestamps, when TCP is communicating, it sends timestamps, and that allows intelligent routers and such on the other side to compute the round-trip delays. And based on that information, it can then make the block sizes bigger or smaller. So that's something worth looking at. There's yeah, all the stuff cool. about the, the chimney stuff with these so-called offload boards, and I honestly haven't had much of a chance to play with that. But looking at the documentation, and I want to be very honest at this point, that we're now in white paper land rather than something that Mark actually tried land. It's uh, supposed to be pretty darn cool. Well, and really? I, I used TCP offload uh, for high-scaling sites and things like that, but it was it was quite a complex task. The fact that it's now, uh, in some ways, that, that was easier because it was just driver-based. Now the fact that we've got it in the core stack of, of Windows, it's going to be interesting to see how that behaves. But, uh, you know, For folks who've never played with offload, the whole idea here is that that it's a non-trivial part of the overhead of, say, a website to negotiate those TCP connections over and over and over again. So if you can offload that work from your machine, things go faster. 
You will additionally see, I think, a little bit better performance there on a 2008-based web server because a little-known fact, that is a completely unknown fact until Microsoft fessed up to it, was that through 2003 and XP, let's say that you had, I don't know, 16 NICs on your computer. All of the protocol processing is done on a single thread. It is not possible to multi-thread protocol processing. And so let's imagine that we have a web server, as you said, that's got a whole bunch of NICs, and each of those NICs have got gazillions of TCP connections. All of that TCP processing has to be done on a single thread, which is crazy. One of the benefits of 2008 that doesn't get a lot of press is that now it can be spread across as many processors as you have. And so if you're doing a lot of pro protocol processing, it may be that the offload boards aren't even as completely necessary, you know? If you do have an offload board, though, you probably know by now that there was a patch that came out about six months ago that didn't work so well. It disabled your offload board. Right. And then Microsoft sent out a notice saying, get the patch. And you say, well, I can't get the patch because the board's not working anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you gotta be, that's the one area you don't want to break things on is network drivers because it really impairs everything else after that. Well, I just got my old, uh, I, I found my old 3Com 503C, uh, whatever the heck it was, and plugged it into the ISIS slot. That gave me enough power to pull down the, the patch. <laughs> yeah, these days I keep uh, a USB nick in my pocket for exactly the same reason. Excellent idea. Just you know the, what's interesting? We talk about the offload stuff, too. I wonder how long it's going to be before that shows up as being part of the standard motherboard chipset. Yeah. No, I think that's that coming really as well. Cool. That'd be a good Here's idea. Here's a big surprise, though. And if any of our listeners are going to start you know, trying to play around with these bigger TCP windows, have you tried running a network monitor, Richard, to find out exactly how big the blocks you're getting are? No, I haven't. You'd be surprised. I have found that in 99 cases out of 100, you get a 64K block size, and that's it, even if you do have this stuff enabled. But, you know, I think you're right in the sense of there's really only two modes that matter. Either you're dealing with really small files or little communication packets and and it sticks with the with the 1.5k one or you're hauling something big a stream or a file or something and as big as can be is all that matters and anything in between is simply a transitory state to one or the other still you would you know i would expect that if i'm pulling down you know one of these isos one of these four gigabyte isos right that, you know for server 2008 but it's interesting, even Microsoft, and they got pretty state-of-the-art stuff there because they're probably one of the, the most trafficked sites, certainly one of the 10 most trafficked sites on the Internet. You would think that they would have the ability to support bigger windows. We haven't really seen them, but it's odd. Now and then you'll get this anomaly. RFC 1323 specifies that you can have a TCP block size of up to one gigabyte. But Microsoft, in their code, said, you know what, we're going to hold it to 16 megs max, which would still be pretty darn impressive. Well, there's a setting. Instead of saying normal or disabled, you can say experimental. And it's really great because right? you have the, the network stack is laid out on the table. There's thunder outside. <laughs> Igor has gone for the brain. And you, you throw the switch, the lightning goes through it. And in general, nothing's different. But my sweetie Rhonda was just downstairs from me. So we're all on the same network. And she's doing some Vista stuff, too. And I'm sitting there on network monitor, and I'm watching... And all of a sudden, we get a browser announcement, and the block size got set to 133 megabytes for that one browser announcement. Wow. But that was it. You know, so it, was, it was a completely pointless use of 133 megabytes. See, I was able to do that because, are you ready? This is the jealousy-inducing section of this, of this presentation. I found the perfect laptop. Ah. If you don't like Vista... It's because you don't have the right hardware. Oh, okay. Now, let me preface this by saying, 
that I like Vista. And I guess I have to apologize for it because nah. people are hating me. I'm getting emails from people saying, you know, I've been reading your books for 20 years and I really liked you, but I hate you now. Vista sucks. You should be saying mean things about Vista. And hey, look, I'm the first guy to beat up on a product when I don't like it, but I like Vista. It does a lot of cool stuff, but I like it probably for reasons that other people wouldn't. It's sort of like when I first saw XP, my first thought was, oh, look, Windows 2000 with the Fisher-Price interface. Nice. How exciting. <laughs> but you know, when you get to know XP, it's like, what kinds of great stuff under the hood for us IT pros? In the same way, Vista is a Christmas tree. It is like all the presents under the Christmas tree. If you look right. beyond the stupid Aero Glass stuff, which I turn off immediately, there's some really neat stuff under the hood. And, but you need the hardware to support it. I mean, if you're trying to run it on two-year-old hardware, you're going to be really, really, really sorry. So I originally got this one laptop from HP that did not work very well for me and couldn't use all my memory. And, of course, I'm running 64-bit Vista because it's better manly to be running a 64-bit operating system. And Absolutely. Right. I, do, I do a lot of virtual machine stuff, so I need big memory. So I got this Lenovo T61P. Good machine. And I thought, I'm the first person to discover how cool this is. The funny thing is, though, it's like this meme that overnight, a friend of mine, Steve Riley, who's a Microsoft guy, a speaker like me, uh, we hadn't been together for a few, you know, I, I run into Steve at the, the regular shows. And so we're sitting down because we're going to do this talk together. And I opened up my laptop bag and he says, I said, I got this great new laptop. He says, me too. And we both put the same laptop down <laughs> on, the, on the table. You know? Or my friend Sean Doobie was a very smart guy. He was the guy who designed the, uh, the Active Directory for Intel, the third largest Active Directory in the, in the galaxy. He's now with Advaya doing some interesting stuff. And I said, so Sean, I found this great laptop. He says, me too. And it both opens up. So somehow the Chinese have put something in the water. You know, that's so that we all, you know, came upon the same laptop at the same time. But here was the really cool part. Cool part is, even though they advertise you can only put four gigs of RAM in it, I just bought a couple of four giggers and I popped them in the laptop and I've got eight gigs of RAM on really? a laptop. Nice. There's, that's oh, nice. Oh, it is all the difference, my friend, because, you know, when I'm doing something like researching or demonstrating or testing or something, with, say, Vista. You know, Vista, in theory, runs in 512 megs of RAM. In theory, 2008 runs in 512 megs of RAM. But they're really not happy doing no. it. Right. With 8 gigs, <laughs> yeah, they now scream. I can give them all a gig, gig and a half, and they run beautifully. Yeah. That's why I'm telling you. It's your so that was the T61P, huh? have the right hardware. So the Lenovo T61P's got 8 gigs. Uh, the Dell 6300, also Does an 8-gig laptop. Will it give you all 8 gigs if you put a 64-bit OS on it? It actually will. In fact, they'll even ship it from the factory with 8 gigs in it. Sweet. Wow. Yeah. Sweet. So uh, those are the only two I know of so far. Well, here's, here's, an, here's an interesting alternative there. If you are looking for, if you kind of like the idea of Vista, but Vista drives you crazy, again, this is something I thought I made up, but other people are doing, run Server 2008 as your desktop operating system. Yeah, no, I've seen, you know what yeah, I've seen doing nice. that a lot? The Microsoft guys. Microsoft guys. Yeah. And if you know mm -hmm. the magic tricks, you can make all of Arrow Glass run on the server. I did it just for right. chuckles. <laughs> <laughs> but I kind of like having that all off. I mean, Server 2008, very familiar feeling. But you you want to hear something amazing, too, was that well, I've got both operating systems on my, my laptop. If I boot Vista 64 and I don't run anything, I just got the desktop, Perfmon tells me that I'm using 1.08 gigs of RAM. Right. That's okay. That, that's fine. And that doesn't mean, you know, please don't think Vista needs a gig. It just means that Vista's smart enough to say, oh, look, eight gigs, I'll just spread out a bit. You know, then I do the same thing on server 2008, same machine, same drivers, 
It only wants 750 megs, right. even though I've got AeroClass turned on. And, then the, and the difference <laughs> is configuration, because the core right. OS is the same. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, we're talking 99.5% the same. Yeah. To the point where Server 2008 claims to be Service Pack 1. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> they only did that because they know that you won't buy it until you, you know, the right. Service Pack 1 comes out. <laughs> of course, you don't have the Media Center and all the other stuff running in there on the server, so maybe maybe that's where you're saving some space. I don't know if I have. I mean, I, I've never run Media Center. Are you, are you saying there's like Media Center stuff running in the background that I... Yeah, well, I mean, I don't, Media Center might be one guess, but I mean, I can, I can imagine on the client operating system, there's probably some extra services that are running that are real specific to client usability that you don't necessarily get under the hood by default, at least on your Server 2008 instance. Could be, could be. It's, it's a, it's all, it's all fun stuff, though. It is fun. You know, you know, Mark, before we let you go, since you're, you know, like the server guy, there's one thing, so for the people that are listening out there, um, I've had a couple people actually, just in the last couple of weeks, say, should I deploy Server 2003 for this small business, for their uh, server on their network, or should I be looking at 2008 even though it's brand new? You know, I have my opinions about that, but I'm curious what you would tell somebody that asked you that question today. Okay, well, two, uh, two answers there, Greg, is that um, if we are talking a small business, and I know that you didn't mean small business server, but... Correct. Uh, small business server in terms of price, I'm not a huge fan of small business server because it doesn't really let you have multiple domain controllers. I know it does, but if you move the FISMO rolls off, it gets all pissy and shuts itself off. Yeah. So there's things I don't like about small business server. Uh, however, now that Susan Bradley will hunt me down and kill me, having said that, <laughs> um, if you like SBS, understand that, of course, SBS 2008 is not out yet, or if it has shipped, it was last week. Right. It's coming very soon. I think there's an awful lot of really cool things about uh, Exchange 2007. And so if I were deploying to a small business, I would be thinking strongly about saying, oh, wait a minute, let's just wait till Cougar, which is the code name for Small Business Server 2008, comes out. That's A. B is, if you are thinking about specking out a system for a client, please, 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 please understand that Microsoft is going 64-bit. If you're, if you're buying 32-bit server hardware now, you're locking yourself into some really bad legacy stuff. Right. And even Server 2000, uh, Small Business Server 2008, you can't even load it on 32-bit. There's yep. not even an option. Yeah, that's right. it. 64-bit hardware. Right? It's all 64-bit now. What's that? It's all 64-bit now. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, all the software. Server are there really 32-bit really legacy. I'm sorry, are there really 32-bit servers out there very much anymore? I guess if you find one used or something like that that a small business might typically do is find find a second-hand one that's in decent shape. That you can end up with 32-bit, but I think so. That's a good point. You know that you that it is a 64-bit world, and we really have entered that that phase of our of our life cycle here. There's just so many little doodads in the Vista slash 08 kernel that I really like. It's just more intelligent when it comes to multitasking. There's that beautiful Hyper-V stuff. I mean, the fact right. that Microsoft is selling at this point a really interesting hypervisor for 28 bucks. Yeah, I mean ESX is great. Let's be clear, but it ain't twenty eight bucks. Yeah, that's true. Um, so I would I would go with the new stuff. I really would because the thing to remember also is that we're going to see a big sea change. I don't know what's going to happen, but Microsoft's got us all head up over the years in expecting a new operating system every two or three years. I think the big mistake they're making now with XP is that I'm sorry, the world has changed. If we never had anything past XP Service Pack three. Mm -hmm. We'd have a pretty darn good operating system. Yes. The world would keep turning. We'd keep making money. 
The fact that Microsoft isn't shipping XP Service Pack 3 anymore is, excuse me, that they've said they're not going to sell XP is insane. It would be like, like, you know, okay, fine, they want to push Vista, but if people like XP, for God's sake, this would be like McDonald's not selling Big Macs or Toyota shutting down the Camry factory or Coke right. changing its foot. Well, okay, that happened. But, you know, still, <laughs> it would be a huge, it's a, I think Microsoft needs to understand that operating systems at this point are going to have usable lives, not of 10 years, but perhaps of 20. Yeah. I think that if for some reason Microsoft released didn't release any new operating systems, that there'd be lots of people still using 2003 and still using XP 20 years from now. Microsoft needs to understand that and, and ex- exploit it. They, they Obviously, they have to deal with their revenue model issue, but that's their concern, you know? Yeah. Something should be done along those lines. Different issue. We got to stop, guys. I know we could go all day. Yeah, what a great conversation, Mark. Really appreciate it. Hey, it's been fun. Thanks a lot, guys. You bet. And we'll see you next week on Run As Radio. 